Hello, everybody. You're listening to a Bitcoin and Markets live stream. My name is Ansel Lindner, and on this show, I give you a unique perspective on Bitcoin, macro, and geopolitics. You can find me all over. Follow me on Twitter at Ansel Lindner. The Telegram channel is doing really well, so go to t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets to join there to listen to these live streams live. You can find the show in any podcast app. Just search for Bitcoin and Markets or go to bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash find dash us and you can find most big podcast apps will be listed there we're also on rumble and odyssey so you can find our channels and go subscribe and give us likes so we can um, reach more people over there on those video apps we have lost our youtube channel and lastly make sure you're subscribed over on bitcoinandmarkets.com to get notified of all of my content all right let's jump in to today's topics what is up, guys? Welcome back to another live stream, Ansel Lindner, Bitcoin and Markets. If you're listening later on Spaces or the podcast, this is mainly a Telegram live stream. That's where my I'm starting to build the community. Start, started on Discord years ago, and I don't know. I just like Telegram a little bit better, and discussion is starting to pick up in there. We have getting close to 300 subscribers. I would like to get um, up to 500 subs up there uh, or over there in Telegram. So if you're listening on the podcast or in spaces, jump over to the Telegram. It's a better audio experience. It's also just a better like uh, back and forth community that we're building over there. So check out t.me forward slash Bitcoin and markets. All right. So today uh, there is, I'm very surprised at the lack of like Fed governors making headlines and stuff. I haven't seen any of that today. I didn't see any of that over the weekend. And we have a very important Fed decision coming up. We have CPI coming out on, well, tomorrow, and then the the FOMC on Wednesday. And I'm not hearing anything from the talking heads. That is very surprising because, you know, my theory here is that the talking heads are monetary policy and they're quiet. So, What does that mean? I don't know, but we're going to find out on Wednesday what the Fed is going to do. So just real quick, uh, before I jump into what I have planned here, uh, responding to George Gammon, um, let's go through some of these charts. I'll post a couple things in uh, Telegram. So here's the first chart. That's Bitcoin. And Bitcoin is sitting just under uh, 17,000 kind of making its way a little bit up here this morning, but looking on the hourly chart, looking like a bear flag. So it could uh, go back below that trend line. And remember, that's the trend line that has been uh, acting as resistance since when? The June drop, right? The Yeah, the, the FTX. No, was that FTX? No, that was the um, Celsius and all that. Uh, and Terra Luna, that dropped back in June. And that now this trend line that I have on the chart has been acting as resistance the whole time. We did break out of it, and then we had the FTX collapse, which brought us back below. Um, and now we've been sideways since when is this? Basically, all month, we've been almost perfectly sideways for Bitcoin. Not spelling imminent doom, um, not being bullish or bearish right now, just going sideways. And with all the talk of recession... And uh, all the kind of economic indicators breaking down, 
uh, it's I'm pretty impressed with how stable Bitcoin has been. And I think certain investors will look at this and be like, you know, this is very stable. Maybe it's a new era for Bitcoin, something like that. And so it'll appeal to a different group of investors, which I think is is very interesting. But I'm going to post this other chart. This is the longer term chart for Bitcoin. You can see. And I really didn't prepare anything for to talk about the charts. I was trying to get the timings right for this video we're going to listen to. Um, what else do we have? DXY sitting at 105. Oil, uh, WTI, that's, uh, you know, West Texas Intermediate. That's the U.S. price, $73 a barrel. Stock market, I, I tracked the uh, S&P 500. It's slightly higher on the day, half of percent. Um, doesn't look super strong, but again, it's very far off the lows, so it it can fall dramatically and still, you know, not make new lows, which everyone is really scared about this, uh, you know, huge recession that pulls back on the stock market 50% and all this stuff. I just don't see that in the cards here. Um, going out this week, what I expect from the CPI is I expect it to be, again, low. The last four months, is it four months? The last four months, the and you you annualize the last four months, the inflation or the CPI has only been like two and a half percent or something. Uh, so it is, CPI has come down. So I expect another low rating and probably another below expectations. Let's do that. Let's look at the CPI now cast. It is from the Cleveland Fed. I usually post this. I haven't posted it this month, actually. So let's take a look at this. They are expecting the November CPI to be 0.47%. So that would be higher than last month. Um, it probably won't be that high. I mean, October was a surprise, a big surprise lower. They were predicting, let's see. If I can find the monthly, oh, it's on, that's why I'm on, I'm on the wrong thing here. Let's go to, here we go. And okay, so just a couple days before the October CPI was released, this Nowcast had it predicting a 0.7% monthly increase. And of course it came in at, where to come in at? Now I can't find it. Uh, Oh shit, this is this is wrong chart, guys. Uh I'm messing this all up. It was I remember though specifically it was um half of the forecasted amount. It came in, so it came in at 0.3, right? Oh great. Now no 0.4. Now I'm gonna have to go to the BLS website and make sure I'm not all getting this all messed up. Yes, uh October was 0.4, so almost half of the ex expectation. Uh, of this now cast. And so if we look at this for December, if it's, if they're estimating, or sorry, the November CPI, if they're estimating 0 0.47, uh, half of that, you know, would be down to 0 0.2 or 0 0.3. So that's kind of what I'm expecting, something in that ballpark. Um, the main component, of course, of CPI that's causing these higher readings to persist for so long is the shelter component and shelter component is very lagging. So what does that tell you? That tells you that we are over the hump and we're on the downward slope. Now this inflation 
commentary here will play into what I'm talking about with George Gammon here in a second. Um, because it's how people interpret what's going on in, in the economy. Um, is this money printing? Is this a supply shock? What does that tell us for the future? You know, um, so that this is kind of leading into that a little bit. Then on Wednesday, of course, we have the FOMC, and I'm kind of expecting a 50 basis point hike. Let's go to CME FedWatch tool. Pulling that up now. All right. So they have percentages here for a 50 basis point hike or a 75 basis point hike. No other hike is even a possibility according to the CME FedWatch tool. And it looks like 75% that we're going to see a 50 basis point hike and a 25% chance that we see a 75 basis point hike. Um, I think this is probably right. Um, but they're going to have majorly dovish language, I believe. So Powell's going to come out and be like, I think we're getting closer to the end. The, you know, We're looking at the cumulative nature of our hiking cycle, and we're getting closer and closer to the end. We don't know where we're going next. We'll have to reevaluate at the next FOMC, and boom, it's going to be super, super dovish. What happens to stocks? What happens to Bitcoin? Um, also, there's two forces, and I talked about this in the telegram there's two forces here the fed pivoting <laughs> unleashes two forces one is a massive risk on rally you know so we have stocks and bitcoin going higher the other force is that a fed pivot signals that something is breaking right it signals it it reinforces people's opinion that the Fed has broken something. And so people will flood into also safe and liquid assets. So we'll, we'll see a rally in bonds and stocks and Bitcoin. Everything will rally. Just like in 2022, so far, this has been the worst year on record for combined you know, 60-40 portfolio or whatever. So bonds and stocks have had horrible years. Uh, they're going to go up together on the other side. And that's what I kind of expect this whole pivot thing to kick off. So there's two competing forces. And where does the dry powder come from? Well, it can, one, be printed. But two, it, there's a ton of cash on the sidelines. I haven't seen it in a little while. haven't looked into it here in the last maybe three weeks or so. But there was a record amount of hedge fund dry powder out there, right? Just sitting in cash. Cash is a very heavy on a lot of people's balance sheets right now. And that's going to come flooding back in. So anyways, that's what I'm thinking is going to happen this week. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Join me. I think I'll be live streaming both the CPI uh, and the FOMC. And then we have do have the FedWatch podcast on Thursday. So I'll be talking about those again. But uh, check out the spaces and the Telegram to have live streams during these events. All right. Let's go into this video by George Gammon, and he was commenting on Saylor, and I guess he's going to have a debate with uh, Michael Saylor about Bitcoin. Uh, just somebody pointed, I think a Doomberg pointed out that Michael Saylor said something like mortgage your house for Bitcoin and buy Bitcoin. Uh, and then they were pointing out how dumb that was. And George Gammon was saying, uh, that's so dumb. Now, I 
I like Michael Saylor, but I'm not like a huge fanboy of his or anything. I don't watch all of his interviews. I don't really, I mean, he's, it's, it's, you know, in when, when I was a gold bug, you would talk about this type of stuff as gold fever. You just have gold fever, buddy. I'm talking on this. I can't be interrupted right now. Sorry about that guys. Um, in gold, you had gold fever and it was, you know, everything was about gold and everything was in, in the lens of the uh, financial system in gold. And it's, there is this thing as being Bitcoin fever, which I think it might be falling down the rabbit hole. Maybe, I don't know what the term would be for that. Um, but Michael Saylor is in that boat with other Bitcoin, Bitcoiners. Anyway, I don't agree with everything he says. I don't watch all of his interviews, but I think he's a very, very smart guy. I mean, he got to be a billionaire somehow, right? <laughs> so it's also funny to, uh, for George Gammon, who is also successful, he's, you know, worth a lot of money, but he's not a billionaire where Michael Saylor is. So this is somebody that has not been as successful of a investor and businessman trying to lecture somebody that has been much better at business. So I, I think that kind of angle is in, interesting to note here. Um, but anyway, then Michael Saylor comes out and says, hey, no, I've never said this. And th let's just listen to what George has to say. I hope my levels are still good. And let's go. <laughs> Figuratively speaking, let's go over to this tweet from my good buddy, Doomberg. And he says, my thoughts on this guy talking about Saylor. I've always been and always and only been limited to the prudence of using his publicly traded company as a vehicle for a leveraged bet on a dollar price of Bitcoin. And I responded by saying my thoughts have always been limited to him telling people to mortgage their house to buy Bitcoin. No matter how bullish you are on something, that is totally inexcusable. Boggles my mind. Bitcoin community has given him a free pass. And then I use this um, as an example. I think uh, as you will go through the tweets here, Sailor thought that uh, I was getting this off of Twitter. I actually didn't. I got it off uh, uh, some other website or some, I don't know if it's CNN or something like that, but may maybe they're getting off Twitter to be fair. So then uh, you had people like this guy that wrote the, the Bitcoin standard um, Safe chime in and uh, uh, talking about a lot of stuff that um, will take us down a completely different tangent here. So <laughs> let's, uh, uh, let's see if I can figure out this how these threads work. Come on. So then uh, Sailor chimes in and says, this is a malicious distortion of crypto promoters intent on undermining Bitcoin. The assertions are created by their marketing departments and amplified through Twitter via their bot armies in the hope that real people like you, sorry to me, uh, will repeat them and legitimize the lie. He says, if, you're, if you review my interviews, you'll see that my comments with regard to credit and property are more nuanced. In the event of financial repression or hyperinflation, it is unwise to sell scarce appreciating property in order to pay off low interest rate, long-term mortgage. So at this point, I, I read this and I don't, I didn't, I understood what he was saying, but I didn't realize he was disputing the fact that he said this in the first place. And this meaning, take out a more. Okay, so just a. Quick commentary on that first part. Um, you can see most detractors of Bitcoin don't have the real story. They just roll with the headline. They roll with what's been repeated in the mainstream financial press about people. 
So it's interesting that he says this or implies that without even a shred of like humility saying, whoa, 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 I guess I've been fooled by somebody here because I thought this is what you said, you know? I mean, I like George Gammon. I like Michael Saylor. I don't agree with them on a lot of things, but it's funny that George Gammon, who is totally critical of Bitcoin, or at least um, starting to become more and more critical of Bitcoin, will openly admit that he's been duped by the financial press, but doesn't understand that that is affecting his thought process. So anyway, let's continue. So hopefully, let me open this up. And here's how I respond. I said, uh, my issue is, even with nuance, it's a huge gamble because the asset you are purchasing, i.e. Bitcoin, doesn't throw off cash flow to service the debt while you wait for inflation. And the bet only pays off. The asset you buy goes up at the rate of inflation, which is far from certain. So what I'm saying here. So, yeah, Bitcoin doesn't throw off cash flow, but you can have a risk-free rate, right? Uh um, Nick Batia has told us this with the risk-free rate of Bitcoin is lightning node, having a lightning node and providing liquidity that it can have some cash flow. I mean, you're taking on additional risk a little bit, but there is a way to hold Bitcoin to custody your own Bitcoin and provide some sort of cash flow. So that's not even correct. Um, but now he's going to get into the inflation stuff and that was one of the parts that stuck out to me is you're, you're, you're taking on an additional payment every month in the form of a mortgage. So if you borrow, let's say a hundred thousand dollars, uh, or if you leverage your, your house, say you got hundred percent equity, you borrow against your house, hundred thousand dollars by Bitcoin. Well, now all of a sudden you've got a, I don't know, let's just call it a thousand dollar a month payment. And, uh, you've got to take that out of your income. So you use that to buy Bitcoin. A Bitcoin doesn't pay you to own it. There's no cash flow. There's no dividend. There's no rent check coming in. So now all of a sudden that mortgage payment, you got to pay that out of pocket. And the pushback would be, well, who cares? Because Bitcoin is going to go up so much when we get all this quote unquote money printing that even if you can't afford to make the mortgage payments anymore, you can just sell your Bitcoin at a huge profit and you're going to be better off. And you see the, the error in the thinking there. Number one, they're thinking in terms of certainties, not probabilities. And it is not a 100% guarantee that Bitcoin goes up, even with the rate of inflation. So you're taking a huge risk. Right? And I pointed out further in this next uh, tweet, that's an example. I said, someone takes out a mortgage by Bitcoin, but can't afford to service the debt long term. Idea is Bitcoin will exceed rate of inflation. And there's a 100% chance of inflation. This is them talking to me. So I'll be fine because I can always sell Bitcoin to cover debt service, meaning those monthly mortgage payments. You can also sell your house, George, you know, and pay off the debt with selling your house. You don't have to sell your Bitcoin. You also can take out like, let's say Bitcoin um, is taking a little bit longer or you start getting Bitcoin goggles and you don't want to sell like Bitcoiners. A lot of times the asset does go up 100x or something, but you still don't want to sell because <laughs> Your goal is now different. It's like stacking gold. Now you're stacking sats and you don't ever want to part with your Bitcoin. So you will do stuff. Um, maybe you'll even, well, also if inflation is going up, right? The value of your house is going up too, most likely. 
So in this scenario where inflation is going up, but Bitcoin's not going up, the value of your house is likely going up. So you can sell your house and you get some equity or whatever. You know, there is, this is not a cut and dry. And I I do not recommend uh, buying more Bitcoin than you can, you know, uh, getting too leveraged into Bitcoin and buying more Bitcoin than you can afford. Uh, So that is also part of this argument. But no, it's definitely not as cut and dry as George would have you believe here. You can always sell your house. But yeah, let's get more into this inflation talk. Then we have inflation and this happens. I point out a chart where in December 2021, or since that time, inflation has been at a minimum of 7%. Uh, We would say, I don't know, 7% is the number, but when we get up to 8 and 9, this is all-time high inflation going back 40 years. You you have to go back to the, the early 80s, late 70s to see this level of inflation. So at any point in time, if your argument is that Bitcoin is always going to do well in an inflationary environment because people, because of Gresham's Law as an example, where people are going to get rid of their dollars and buy Bitcoin because the dollar is being devalued. But we should have seen that happen to a certain degree uh, during this time frame. You say, George, well, gold didn't go up that much. Well, right, but you're pricing gold in dollars. Let's look at gold denominated in yen. Let's look at gold denominated in euros or, or, or Colombian pesos. All right, so this is predicated on this, you know, misidentifying things by using the wrong term for what we're seeing out there. You know, when people use inflation to say Bitcoin is a hedge against inflation or gold is a hedge against inflation, what they mean is it's a hedge against money printing and debasement, right? Have we seen that? Or have we seen CPI going up? Have we seen a supply shock that's actually deflationary? But, you know, that is a problem when you start talking about narratives and the Bitcoin's inflation narrative, gold's inflation narrative, you have to tease that out. Like, yeah, we have had 40 year high CPI, but we have not had 40 year high inflation. You look at many, many inflation metrics. I mean, you can look at tips, you can look at five year, five year forwards. You can get real, like hard inflation expectations and what what is going on in the system with interest rates and things. None of them have showed 9%, 10% inflation. None of them. Because there hasn't been any money printing. I mean, there's been limited money printing. And let me just cover that real quick. So as you do all this government spending, that's not money printing itself. It pulls demand forward and it tricks the economy into thinking that there's real demand and that there is, the economy is going to, you know, come out of this slump. And so then people actually go out and borrow money. Banks go out and lend money. And that is when money is printed. It's printed in the false assumption that the demand that was pulled forward is real. So that's why government spending is more related to money printing. But that's it's not money printing itself, and neither is QE. So we have not seen actual money printing. We saw a small effect in what I just described there, but it's not 40-year high money printing, okay? It's 40-year high CPI. And why does that matter? Because George's uh, position here is that we had inflation, Bitcoin didn't go up, hence it changes the probabilities. 
saying that something is wrong with Bitcoin. Okay, something is not the way we it seems. But what is it's not that Bitcoin is not the way it seems. It's that your freaking inflation narrative is not the way it seems. That's why Bitcoin hasn't had a big bump. That's why gold hasn't had a big bump. What remember all the memes out there? 40% of all dollars ever created were printed in 2021 or something like that, right? We saw that money printer go burr meme, meme over and over again in 2021. But the price of gold doesn't go up against the dollar? Why is that? Because it wasn't actually money printing. It wasn't actually debasement. We're stuck in a deflationary grind. And the the dynamics in this deflationary grind are different than the inflation. That's why I think the inflation narrative for Bitcoin is damaging because it's a surface argument. It's the same surface argument that gold bugs have used for decades. Decades. I mean, there's still people that these gold bugs and silver bugs that laugh at Bitcoiners. Because they're so messed up with their view and they it, they just see the world, the financial system wrong. And it's led them to stack silver at $50 an ounce and silver is now at 20 for decades. It's not like buying Bitcoin at 60 and now it's down to 17 because it was only up there for a small period. And you would have to buy in a very small window to get that high. But silver has been much higher than it is today for a long time. Decades. Gold, similar. You know, the, gold, the high in gold back in 2011 was 19, or 1920, I think. Wait, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Let me pull up the chart here. Sorry, guys. I don't want to say this sound dumb here. <laughs> it was, let me get a weekly chart. It, yeah, it was $1,920 an ounce back in 2011. And where is it today? It's at seven. It's at one thousand seven hundred and eighty. Let's see what that is. The percentage. It's seven percent below the two thousand and eleven high. Gold still is. Where's Bitcoin compared to its two thousand? And we could say twelve. Was there blow off top in two thousand and eleven and twelve too? I think there's two of them. But that was down at $2, you know, and now it's at 17000 It's completely different. But the inflation narrative is not the proper one to concentrate on here because we're in a deflationary environment. Okay, anyway, I'm getting way too far off. Let's see what else George has to say. And then you would most likely see gold go up at a very similar rate than uh, compared to their the overall inflation that we're experiencing globally. It's just with the, the dollar that it didn't go up. And I would argue because it ran quite extensively before then. But even if it didn't, you're, you're looking at a 5,000-year time frame here where Bitcoin, maybe in the next 5,000 years, we'll see that it is a good inflation hedge. But you just don't know that just because of what the price has done over the last 10 years. Okay, this is disingenuous because why is something a good inflation hedge? Why is gold a good inflation hedge? Because of its scarcity. Because of its stock-to-flow ratio. That's why it's a good inflation hedge. And Bitcoin is better than gold in both of those things. You know, it has a very, it has a perfectly fixed supply and it has a ever expanding uh, 
stock to flow or whatever. And the difficulty, the unforgeable costliness of it, the cost to mine is going up and up. The cost to mine the next marginal Bitcoin is going up and up. So everything, the reason that, that makes gold a good inflation hedge is better with Bitcoin. But George just totally skips over that. And he goes straight to saying that gold has proven itself as an inflation hedge over 5,000 years, but no, not getting into it. You know, it's, it's totally a snake oil type thing. You, you don't want, these people don't want to dive into more nuanced topics because they're trying to sell some sort of snake oil, I guess. But I don't think George is that way. Let me, you know, get that straight. I, I like George. I like his content. I've never met him personally, but he seems like a decent dude. He's just, this is a very disingenuous argument here. So let's continue. That would be like assuming that, that, that Tesla is a good inflation hedge just because it's done better than the CPI over the last five years. But I don't think. No, 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 no. What makes something a good inflation hedge, George? That's what we're saying. Tesla does not have those characteristics that gold and Bitcoin have. So it's not like calling Tesla stock a hedge against inflation. It's because of Bitcoin's properties, man. Let's talk about the properties. Anyone would argue that it would be a good idea for you to mortgage your house to buy Tesla shares. So during this time frame, when when theoretically you would listen to the Bitcoiners back in 2021, Bitcoin should have exploded higher. It should have just skyrocketed in all currencies, not just the dollar. Yes, and that is why I think the inflation narrative was so dangerous in the beginning because we haven't seen money printing. We've seen supply shock. So once you look at it like that, then you can say, oh yeah, well, that's why Bitcoin hasn't gone up because there hasn't been a ton of money printing. It's actually been a deflationary shock, right? Credit has been contracted. All right, let's continue. But then we have Bitcoin go down from, let's call it 50, to where it is today at 16. So and and again, you could say, well, gold uh, didn't really keep up right, but gold didn't lose what 70 percent of its value. Reverend six and goalposts. I have never, ever, 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 or, and you guys know this well. I would never tell anyone to mortgage their house to buy pretty much anything, especially not gold. Reverend six, no way, absolutely not. The only thing I've ever said for people who say, hey, should I mortgage my house if I really want to invest? I said I would advise against it, but if, if you're if you have to do it got to make sure that you buy an asset that pays you enough to cover your mortgage cost plus some so as an example if you had a, a house you had 100 equity and you're like i want to buy a rental property so i'm going to borrow against my main house to buy the rental property but your mortgage payment is a thousand bucks and the positive cash flow coming in from the rental property is two thousand okay you got to be careful with that you got to make sure that you're a, a pro and you know what you're doing but that is something that i would personally consider for my own portfolio buying gold or Bitcoin or something like that that doesn't pay you to own it, that, that is completely out of the question. And that was my point. And you can see why. Because for the retail investor to do that, you know, they're going to get caught with their pants down, meaning that they're going to have to keep making this monthly payment. And all of a sudden, they're going to say, holy cow, it's just like buying a property with negative cash flow, just assuming that the appreciation is going to go up. But what if it doesn't? Well, now, all of a sudden, you're left with this payment that you can't make, and the, the price of your asset goes down by 60%. You have no other choice but to fire sell it and realize the loss. That's the risk here. And that's what I'm I'm pushing back against. All right. So that's going to be it for that. Um, he, I guess, is going to debate Michael Saylor. That should be pretty fun. Um, but the whole point is, my reaction here is, one, to point out that inflation 
we have not seen inflation. That's why Bitcoin and gold both have not performed the greatest. Uh, gold is much less liquid. That's why it has fallen um, less. There's also, of course, the immaturity of the Bitcoin market with, you know, having be uh, over leveraged, having selling paper Bitcoins and all this stuff that we saw on FTX and uh, people holding Bitcoin in the reserves of their Ponzi scheme and then having to fire sale their Bitcoin. So the, the space is just less mature, but not the asset itself. All right. And the reason why it is a good inflation hedge is because it's scarce because of the stock to flow and because you can't increase the issuance of it. It's a fixed supply and more and more energy has to go goes into finding the next marginal Bitcoin. So same arguments for gold, just better. Right. But George doesn't want to, you know, I guess he wouldn't say that gold is a certainty either, but it has 5,000 years to back itself up. So like the 5,000 years is supposed to be limiting the probabilities of some sort of cascading failure with gold. Um, but no, he needs to look at the monetary arguments for why gold is an inflation hedge and just see that Bitcoin is better in all of those respects than gold is. All right. That's all I have for today. What I'm going to do now is open it up to the guys on Telegram. I'll relay whatever they're saying over there to Twitter Spaces. And let's go ahead and do that. Topic changes are okay. Let's just try to keep it under macro. While I'm waiting for that, guys, uh, check out the podcast feed. Just search for uh, Bitcoin and Markets in any podcast app. Uh, check out bitcoinandmarkets.com if you want to support me making this kind of content. You know, make sure you're signed up for the free newsletter over there. But also, you can support me for five dollars a month to help me continue doing this. Quite a few people here in Telegram. No comments. I do like the when, when I do like it when people in Telegram or whatever hey, uh, hit me up and say, "Hey, take a look at this video. What's your reaction to this video that just happened with Point BTC and bringing up one of Jeff Schneider's recent videos?" I'll probably be covering that here sometime because it, it was a gold mine. He has supposedly is backing some blockchain project, so very very interesting. All right, well, no hands. I'm going to wrap it there, guys. Thanks for joining, and I'll see you tomorrow. Bye.